You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning, church. Our focal passage this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew. We are in chapter 19 and looking at verses 1 through 9, so follow along with me in your own Bibles or on the screens. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Let not man separate. Pardon me. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. You all can be seated, and children here can be dismissed to their classes. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. We are continuing a sermon series called Redeeming Relationships, and today we're looking at marriage. And so if you would pray with me, that would be awesome, and then we'll, we'll rock and roll, right? God, thanks for your goodness and grace. Thanks for all the ways that you provide. Thanks for mornings like this where we get to sing <clears throat> to you and about you. We get to pray and, and, and be known by you, um, be known by one another. Would you let us um, behold your designs for community, for family, for marriage, uh, for, for what this looks like? And, and no matter where this finds us today, would you, would you build us up to know you, to treasure you, to trust you all the more? In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so my wife, Kim, and I, we were, I don't know, 15-ish years old. <clears throat> we went to a local pumpkin festival, and we, we dipped our hands in wax, and we did that uh, to have like a cool little thing, and, and, and we started off, I think like Kim dipped her hands and put in cold water or whatever, and then I dipped my hand and put in cold water or whatever, and I think hers were like purple and blue-ish, and mine was like yellow and orange-ish, and then we put our hands together, dipped them in wax cold water or whatever, <clears throat> and it looked really cool, and, uh, and then we had to kind of like shimmy our hands out, you know, and, and pull our hands out of there, and made a mold of our hands, uh, again, first few layers individually, then together, uh, all the things, and so gently removed them, and it, and it made this beautiful art that was reflecting, you know, the, the intimacy and longevity of a marriage yet to come, right, uh, and the cool thing about kind of mold cast that the way that that thing was made is that it takes the positive like our hands take up space like in this world and it produces the negative and so if we would have like poured plaster or something like that in we would have formed a cast an exact replica of our hands minus the little wiggles and all those things so this kind of like mold cast method is used in manufacturing uh, Irie and I used to watch this show called How It's Made all the time, and like every fourth, uh, like we're big nerds. She's a big nerd. Like just sign, just, just so you know. Um, and so like every fourth show would be like a mold cast of some type, and uh, archaeologists use this stuff. Animal trackers use this. So for some of you, that means this is how we know what Bigfoot's fit, footprint looks like, right? He, he steps down and he, and he presses down in the ground and then they pour something in there and they pull that up and they have the cast of, you know, exactly what his footprint looks like. And this mold cast concept is also the way that, that I want to help us understand marriage today. You, you may have realized that the focal passage was about 
divorce. And so I'm, I'm using that negative to talk about the positive. We're going to figure out what, what the hands look like by observing the wax. And just to be clear, any marriage book that you ever like find in your hands, uh, and there are countless books on marriage, they all have at least eight chapters. I don't have eight chapters with you today, and so uh, we might just be all over the place, or we might kind of hone in a little bit. Time will tell. Where Jesus interacts with this space, there's some stuff going on culturally, and it's not very different than it is today. There were like schools of thought, even like theological schools of thought. So depending on what seminary of the day you went to or what teacher you followed, there were like some, some like wildly different understandings of, of divorce and what this looked like. And so one of them taught that a man may not divorce his wife unless he has found unchastity in her, right? Namely, he can't divorce his wife unless she was unfaithful in marriage, sexual immorality, whatever. The other side of that, maybe, uh, said that he may divorce his wife even if she spoiled a dish for him, right? So as, as some would say, burnt toast and unseasoned eggs is an appropriate cause for divorce. Maybe in the middle, but not so much in the middle. There's a, another teacher says that he may divorce even if he found another fairer than she, so, like, he's just not in it anymore, or she ain't it, but someone else is. And so, okay, like, that's, that's good enough a reason to, to divorce. And so, what that shows us is, like, the, the liberal to conservative scale. We live in the same thing today, right? And so, you may find yourself like, hey, I hate burnt toast. Like, right? You might, you might find yourself encamped, and hopefully the, the scriptures would help us a little bit today, but, but that's what's happening in the context of this interaction that we read in Matthew 19. So in Matthew 19, verse 1, this is what happens. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and he entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him. And he healed them there. And the Pharisees, now the Pharisees are like very religious types, and they are very focused on external appearances and all those things, and, and Jesus would say that their hearts were far from him. But they're very religious, <clears throat> and they're leaders, they're teachers. And, he, and, he, and the Pharisees came up to him and, and tested him, so that kind of reveals the motive that they're asking Jesus. They're not just, just curious about the question, but they're like trying to trap him, right? Um, and here, here's what they said, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause, right? So when the Pharisees test Jesus with a question about divorce, he, he turns the tables on them, and he, and he stresses the permanence of marriage, and, and he, he uses this opportunity to expose the hard-heartedness of humanity, and he redirects their misunderstanding. So for us, the big idea that we want to look at today is this. Marriage is God's design to reflect the type of love and commitment he has for his people. Now, I have officiated several weddings this year, and I have another one coming up in, I don't know, a couple days. Um, and whether it's just me or Kim and I, we get to interact with, you know, like the 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 bride and groom-to-be, and one of the things that we emphasize over and over again is, is marriage is it's bigger than you, and marriage is bigger than love, and it's bigger than a day, and it's, and it's bigger than marriage. Um, marriage is the oldest institution that we have. It's the oldest human institution. It's, it's older than government institutions, and it's older than academic and, and all these things, and in line with God's design, it is beautiful, and it is the foundation for community and the foundation for, for joy and glory and, and fruitful multiplication and all these things, but in the shadow of sin, it's bitter labor, and it's painful, and it's misguided, and marriage itself is a bad savior. And so that's, that's kind of what we're, we're looking at today. Uh, in Ephesians 5, it kind of sets up this beautiful picture of the intention of marriage. And it, and it tells us that Christ 
is to the husband as the wife is to the church. And it says all these things, and and Paul tells us that Jesus is the great groom, and he's setting apart for himself a bride, a perfect and spotless bride. And he says that Christ is, is leading that family by laying down his life sacrificially, intentionally. He's devoted to and he's committed to that bride. And the church is responding not out of obligation or not because, ah, we have to, but responding to the love that Christ gives us his sacrificial love. We're responding to, to uh, the way that he honors us, the way that he loves by doing the same in response. So husband, he says in Ephesians 5, love your wife as Christ loves his church. Right? And some look at that and they, they in our sinfulness, it causes us to, to power up and say, oh gosh, that, so I'm Jesus, right? And men, you're not, you're not, you're not Jesus. And that's, that's the correction that he's giving you. Love your wife as Christ loved the church, and what that means is you get to lay down your life for your spouse. You get, to, you get to sacrificially like bear that cross, right, on her behalf. Wife, love your husband. And, and, and wife, love your husband as paint on the canvas of life, bringing into view the love and the devotion that the church has for Jesus. Your marriage is, is art displayed in your home, in your neighborhood, in, and wherever you are together, and it either inspires people to know the Lord rightly by the way that you interact with one another, or it inspires people not to know the Lord at all by the way that you interact with one another. Now, in that passage, there, there is this line that might be the most relatable line of all, and this is what he says. He says, marriage is a profound mystery, and you can say, oh, what a relief, because that's the way it feels sometimes. So the question, so is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Right? And we'll look at kind of three points that help us tease out what Jesus says in response. And the first one is this, marriage is from the Lord. Like, lest we forget, marriage is from God. All the broken places of marriage, maybe in your life, certainly in the, the culture in which we live, is, is first just missing this. That marriage is from the Lord. And this is what Jesus says. Uh, so they say, hey, can we, can we divorce just for, for any reason? And he answered, have you not read? So whenever Jesus says that, it's in the New Testament, he's referring back to the Old Testament. And what he's saying is like probably sarcastically, like, like eyebrows raised, like, have you not, like your teachers of the law, like you don't know what the word says? You don't know what's happening? Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Which is, what a weird response, right? I love the move from Jesus here. Can, can men bail on their wives just cause? Haven't you read? Like, like seriously, don't you know what marriage is? That's what he's saying. And again, in pre-marriage stuff or in marriage stuff, when I'm processing or when Kim and I are processing that stuff with others together, the first thing that we sit down and do is we say, man, this is really great that you want to be married, you know, like, can you tell us what marriage is? And it's so bizarre that people are like, well... And then, like, you just don't know what they're going to say because it's, like, what is marriage? It's so important. It's like, it's like maybe your, your life has been, like, spiraling towards this moment and this day, and, and I know what the wedding looks like, and I know what, like, I want my invitations to look like and the flowers and all these things. Great. What is marriage? Huh. I never really even considered that. And what I want us to do today is, is consider that. It's very important because next week, and this is, like, a, a, again, uh, a public service announcement. Next week, we'll be talking about sex. And so, if we don't know what marriage is, then we're going to misuse that as well, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's not merely that it was established by God, but it's, but it's set aside for exclusive relationship, consensual man and woman. And that was true then, as we see. And no one would debate that. This isn't what this sermon is, and it can't be, but all those who would 
who would subscribe to a man, man, marriage, woman, woman, marriage, they would still look at this and say, yeah, that's the way that it was. But that just doesn't apply in the same way today. That doesn't transcend cultural uh, norms. And so for us, it's fine. And that's why it's so important that we get it. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't just say, well, today this is what marriage looks like. But he hearkens all the way back to the very beginning, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Right? He goes all the way back to the beginning. Don't you know that he who created from the beginning made them male and female? And that's really, really important. How and why did God create? Man, there's a, a New City Catechism. I think that was the question. We spent a ton of time with our kids uh, years ago. How and why did God create? God created us male and female in his own image to glorify him. <sighs> Marriage is bigger than a piece of paper. Marriage is bigger than a tax break. It's bigger than a better interest rate. One time someone sent me a message, someone that I know well, and said, hey, is there any, this was like on Wednesday, and they said, is there any way you could marry, like you could officiate uh, a wedding either Friday or Saturday? Um, because we're trying to close on a mortgage on Monday, and we can get a better rate if we're married. And I think I literally responded like, uh, New phone, who this? Or like, <laughs> or like, do you know me? Like, this is crazy. And I remember, like, this, this, is, the, this is wild. No, no, I won't do that. What, what is wrong with you? And I never use that term. It's, it's more than mere companionship. Marriage is, is more than, than just having a, a friend to grow old with. It's more than being a friend with benefits. It's more than, than the next step in the march towards maturity. It's more than the next step towards uh, adulthood. Or it's more than just like, that's what committed people do. And it's like, I've heard this like, well, it's just harder to separate if you're married. So we figure we'll get, it's like, please don't marry him. Don't marry her if that's what you're thinking it's not a contract that, that binds like that. Marriage is from God, which means it is for his purpose, a purpose that extends beyond the here and now, but it also lives exactly here and now in living rooms and car rides and, and it lives in, in family dinners. He who created all that is created marriage from the beginning, man and woman. He who created men and women, specific, equal, unique, created marriage. And maybe you're jaded by your experiences, and you say, well, it sounds like you're saying that this is good, but trust me, if I told you my story, you, you would tell me it's not good. But marriage, as designed by God, is good from God for joy and for delight. One says, marriage is many things, glorious but hard, burning joy and strength, and yet blood, sweat, and tears. It is from God for purpose, and one of those purposes is, is companionship. Like, in the beginning, God made Adam, and it was not good that man should be alone. So he made a companion, a suitable helper, a, a partner to enjoy the good and endure the bad with. If I can put my cards on the table, like I don't have to tell you that the good parts are good. And I don't have to tell you to endure through the joys of marriage. So today, I, I'm kind of honing in and, and I want to encourage you to fight through the difficulties for the bigger picture of what's happening in your life and marriage. So there's this, this funny rule of the heart on display here that it reveals human nature. Like in the way that they ask this question. We look for the lowest common denominator and, and if we try to please God at all, we try to do that with like the lowest level of investment that we can. And so like for example, like what is, fill in the blank, like what is modesty? Like well, let's define modesty by the measure of our garments and not the affection of our heart. 
and see how, let's see how that works, right? Let's try to law the heart by external rules. Or you might find yourself in a relationship, or you might know people in a relationship where, where they're trying to figure out appropriate boundaries for physical or, or sexual interaction with one who is not their spouse or not your spouse. And so you ask the question like, is, is this too far or, or, is, or is that too far? And the question is like, what if we sought creative ways to give God more glory, not just like, uh, rather than to, to skirt the lines of, of selfish gain and robbing him of his glory and robbing yourself of your joy? What if we did that? That's what they're doing here. I heard this week the story of a, of a murder, right? And it was pretty classic. Uh, husband and wife, friends with another husband and wife, and someone wanted that to look different, right? And so two of these people wanted to get together, but the problem was they were both married, and that's difficult. And this dude, on, on trial, like, said these words. He said, well, you know, she was like, she's pretty religious, and she just like couldn't make herself divorce her husband. She couldn't live with, you know, like the, the, the public shame of having divorce on her resume. So we plotted to murder him instead. Uh, and, and went out fishing. I threw him in a swamp, uh, alligator infested swamp. Um, I was hoping his waiters would fill. And that would be the end of it, and they would never find him. His waiters didn't fail because we were in the shallows. And like, so I, I had to shoot him. And couldn't just leave him there because, so I had to get him. And now, and you're like, like, you probably should have just got a divorce. Like, and I'm not condoning that. I'm just saying like, so, so that is the epitome of pleasing man over God. That's the exact opposite of how we get to live our life for God's glory. They didn't want the public perception of divorce, so we murdered in private. And that's a great picture of, of the deals that we make with ourselves to get what we want with as little personal collateral damage as possible, despite the desire or the design of the Lord. And that's true in, in marriage. So what are the rules about divorce? Like, are there loopholes that we can exploit? I got myself into this thing. How can I get out without guilty hands? What does your bargaining with God look like? Like, where do you find that it would be easier to forsake your commitment and to forsake your vows and to to forsake obedience and to forsake Jesus. Follow me, Jesus said. The question is, where are you like, I'll do that. But like, concerning this relationship, Jesus, if you would, could you just follow me for a bit? What causes you to search for loopholes to leave rather than opportunities to learn and grow and lean into grace and to do the hard work and to let your marriage shine light. The God of all creation. And, and if you're unmarried, <clears throat> but you desire to be, where might you be drawn to, to lay down standards or to cut corners to get what you want? Or if you find yourself in a place where you reject marriage altogether, but you're living as one who is married with another, and you're doing, what, you're doing the things that married people do, but you're just not about that, then, then what commands are you just cutting out of the book? <clears throat> are you all in, except where obedience costs you? Because if that's the case, I, I think I can say confidently that that you're not in at all, because that's the point. If Jesus was like, hey, we're on a treasure hunt, like, follow me, right, and it's going to be cush, and it's going to be gravy, and it's going to be easy, and just in a few short minutes, you'll get all the, the, the treasures that you desire in this world. Okay, but he says, follow me. And he says that he's overcome this world. And then he says things like, uh, when, when someone 
whose, whose life is on the line, a, a follower of Jesus, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist writes, hey, Jesus, uh, I thought you were the one, but like I'm getting ready to get my head cut off in prison. That can't be right. And Jesus is like, things are good, bro. It looks different when we follow him in a way that, that forces us to obey even when it's really difficult. See, any relationship in close proximity will be challenging. That's true for siblings. Anybody like, amen. It's true for roommates. This is one relationship where the only thing that keeps you together, keeps you united, keeps you on the same team is, is your commitment to be united, to be together, to be on the same team for a vision that's bigger than your current reality. It has to be. If, if left unguarded or to ourselves, we, we pit and divide. We seek selfish gain and selfish benefit. That's what we do. So, so why get married? Why stay married? Well, when we're thinking clearly and soberly, despite kind of the high and low of, of the emotions, it, it is this, remembering that marriage is bigger than me, that it's bigger than us, that it's bigger than love, that it's bigger than marriage, and that it is actually a mirror for the goodness of God, a mirror for the love of God, a mirror for the commitment from God, which when we're believing that, it warms our hearts enough to turn the car around, to walk back into the house, and to once again lean into something that might be hard. Or maybe if you're not married, what this causes you to do was, is, is maybe to get life in order by marrying the person that you're pretending to be married to, right? I'm not saying do that. I'm just saying this challenges us in different ways. Or, or maybe you're in a relationship and, and you say, gosh, if that's the intent of marriage, I could never see that with this guy. I could never see that with this girl. Like that is not where we are going. And if you're not married, it is not too late to get out of that relationship. Look, this isn't, this isn't one-on-one advice. It might feel like that. Process this stuff. All this stuff is, is hard. And I'm going to tell you a lot of things today. I'm going to give you lots of information. And the transformation piece and what it looks like and, and fleshes out in your life and your world, I mean, don't, don't do it on your own. Invite other people, trusted people, into that process. Open this book. God created them from the beginning, male and female, and he set them in the garden, and it was good, and, and the Lord himself officiated the first wedding. Imagine being in a relationship that did put God's love and devotion on display. As hard as all this stuff is, when that happens, there's nothing more beautiful so the second thing that Jesus says, and he, he says marriage transitions two lives to one. And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Well, that's not confusing. You know what I mean? I'm just glad that it's like so basic. See, when, it, when a child is born into a caring family, that child is dependent upon mom and dad for everything, right? Uh, that's the way that it goes until the child becomes independent and whatever that looks like. Uh, and depending on when and where, like our culture looks quite different than other customs and that's fine. But, but the transition of primary allegiance shifts when one gets married. And some of you are like, uneasy right now you're like oh this is right like mom and dad were caregiver and provider and now it's spouse that's even like on the law books that's why you have things like heads head of household and 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 dependent language and tax code right you thought this you thought this was a sermon about marriage just taxes all right um there's like this home analogy that we see and and it's and it's you used to live at home 
and you would, you would go out of that home to be with your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever and, and as an add-on to your life. Now, as a, as a husband and wife, you live with your spouse and you go to mom and dad's as an add-on to your primary life. Like, this is the, the attention. I don't know if you know that or not. This can bring about tension and, and people sometimes call this leaving and cleaving, right? And so it's leaving father and mother and there's tension around this. Like, are mom and dad lesser? No. No, they're not, they're not lesser. But it's different. It's just different. They're no longer primary. Prior to or, or, or maybe after you get married, um, consider what this means. What does it mean to leave father and mother and hold fast to your spouse like in a wedding ceremony, traditionally, right, uh, you have the bride come down and you have, uh, if it's possible, you have her to be with her dad and, and she comes down the aisle and, and the officiant would say something like, who gives this bride away? And he would say, her mother and I. And he grabs her hand and he gives her hand to the groom. Like, that's not just tradition for tradition's sake. That's a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one. I shared this story years ago, but um, Kim and I were, I don't know, 17, and we walked into the house, uh, my, my parents' house, and my mom said something really passively, like, hey, uh, just to let you know, you had some mail, and... Um, you know, State Farm said da 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 whatever, and you need to respond to that before you, you know, go away to college or whatever. It's like, okay. And Kim, like, Kim looked at me, and, and she was like, why did your mom open your mail? Like, she said, why did your mom open your mail? And I was like, I probably said, like, well, the same reason why she does my laundry and, you know, cuts the crust off of my sandwiches. Like, what? <laughs> like, what? What? Like, I didn't say that to Kim. <laughs> oh, do you want to, is there anything you want to say, Kim? <laughs> hey, that was good. I'm so glad that you did that. Like, this is good. We, we, we talk about it. So, that, that night, for real, we had a conversation. And mom, I, mom, if you're listening out there, I, like, it was really hard. We had a really hard conversation. And it was like, hey, mom, why are you opening my mail? <laughs> and it was like, but, but ultimately it was, hey, mom, like, I'm going to be living in a different state in like a month. Like, it's probably time for me to grow up a little bit. And I know you don't love that. I'm sure it didn't sound anything like that. <laughs> it was probably like, why are you opening my mail? Like, and there were tears. And like, real talk. And I've never told my, even my mom this. Like, she handled that like a champ. And, and, it, and it laid a foundation in our marriage to where Kim can talk to my mom about anything and, you know, like, whatever. It's, it's a great relationship. But, but my mom was like, you know what? Like, that's, that's true. Like, I, I do need to, like, let go a bit. And we didn't get married that week. We went away to college and got married, whatever, you know, two years later. But it was, it was that relationship, and there were markers along the way. And it wasn't just one day everything was different, but it was like, okay, there are seasons of life that transition. And, and man, that's, that's really important. And for real, Kim, thanks for that. Super kind. Uh, what does it mean to be one flesh? Like, we'll talk a, a little bit more about this next week, but, but it means united in the most intimate and practical way, that, that you build life together. And look, this is no slight, but when someone sits down and says, yeah, we're getting married, and, and we say, yeah, what's your, what do your finances look like? And they're like, well, I have, I have you know, a couple accounts, whatever, and he has a couple accounts, and, and it's like, you, you're, just, that's, you're just playing that, huh? Like that. 
Like we say, no, like when, when you build your life together, one flesh means a lot of things, but it means that your, your, your lives begin to come together. Like in, in marriage, it's the only relationship where, where sex is gifted and there's deep investment, but it means, uh, it means that there's more room for potential hurt because it's a vulnerable place to be. But it does mean beyond that, that you have a shared calendar and you have shared finances and shared friendships and, and shared priorities. And it doesn't mean that you lose yourself. Like, it doesn't mean that, like, oh, like, I can't hang out with my friends or, any, or it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that, but, but it does mean that it's always you plus another. And I don't mean that they always have to be there. I just mean it's, it's always you and another. One says it this way. It, uh, this idea signifies the deep union and unity when a man and a woman come together in marriage. Not only the physical union and sexual intimacy, but also a spiritual an emotional union where the two individuals become partners for life, sharing their joys and burdens together. Like, in some ways, marriage is, is the, the, the crucible which purifies each spouse for God's glory, for hope-filled joy in, in our entire life. Um, our, our entire independent life is, is settling into being able to deal with ourselves. Like, man, if I could just deal with myself, that would be a really good thing. And then you, you get married, and that just slaps you in the face because you're no longer prioritizing just yourself, but another. Tim Keller says, in marriage, you are not only choosing your partner for life, but also the character of the person you will become. Right? And you, can, you, you always think, they'll change, and I'll stay the same. And guess what? They think the same thing. He goes on to say that this idea of two becoming one, it, it's, it doesn't mean that you're going to think alike, but it means that you're going to think together. Oh, it's like a helpful thought. That, that is what Jesus does for us in, in the biggest picture. If we zoom all the way out, that, that we are united with Christ. We're united with him by, by his grace being poured out on us through our faith, trusting in him. Marriage has the, the, the pleasure of, of putting that love, that devotion, and that unity on display. And when we do, there is no greater joy. When we are, are, are enemies of God, we are not one with him. That's the way that we come into this world separated from him by sin, by our sin, but by grace, through faith, we are made one with him. Uh, I, I heard a kind of an illustration not long ago. I think it was Jared Wilson. He, he talked about the uh, Matri Oshka. We're all familiar with that, right? And I'm kidding. I know you're not familiar with uh, uh, Russian nesting dolls, right? And he says in, in this cool way, like Christ is in us, and then we are in him. And, and that is a, a profound mystery on how that unity works, but there's, there's beauty. Christ in us, us in him. He's the glue. He's the unifying presence, the one who holds all things together, and he's holding our relationship not only with the people around us together, but with the fullness of God for all time. Christ is the one holding us together. What a beautiful thing. And so you might be saying, well, how do, I, how do I process, how do I apply this to becoming one as a, as a married person? Well, are there things that you're holding back from your spouse that undercuts to becoming one math? Talk about it. <laughs> not, not out loud right now, but... <clears throat> Like, what do you need to talk through with your spouse? What do you need to listen to? What do you need to be humbled by? What do you need to learn about? What do you need to consider? And then, no matter where we are, married, unmarried, divorced, whatever, what difference does it make that you've been united with Christ? Like, have you been united with him? And what difference does that make in your earthly relationships with your spouse? What difference does that make in your eternal relationships with, with the God of all creation? The third thing we see is this. Marriage plays for keeps. 
Jesus goes on. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. See, you guys are starting to learn that like, oh, all this stuff that you say at a wedding, it comes from the Bible, which is why when I sit down and say, what is marriage? If they don't say this, then this is, this is where I'm at in my life. I say, then you don't want me to stand up there because I'm not making a mockery of this institution. I'm not going to say before God, man, what a gift these people are when, when they're not living out of these realities, right? Let not men separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command, he's talking about the Old Testament and Deuteronomy, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And I think it would say, command? He didn't command it. And then he says this, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. I'm glad we have the next four hours to process all of this together. A couple things. He's saying God is the one joining two into one within marriage. God, God is the one doing that. He's saying divorce is allowed by God for the caveat that you are hard-hearted sinners. And he says there are consequences for tearing apart what God has united. That, that's what that says. Are there justifiable reasons for divorce? Yes. Of course there are. There's a, a sexual immorality clause right here in this passage. If you come to us and, and you're being abused, we're not going to say go home and be with your abuser. We're not, we're not going to do that. But, but none of these things are just yes, no. And again, if you're looking for loopholes and you're sitting there thinking, you know what? I think, yes, I, th I think I have a way out. I think I have a legitimate way out. That makes, you, that makes you happy? Like, man, process this stuff. I can't say all of the things. So, so, so we are all here, and we're hearing this from different seats. I'm well aware of that. That some of you are happily married and you're like, hey, this is good for, for them to hear. Maybe they'll respect me like they ought to be, right? But you're like happily married. And some of you are, are very unhappily married. Like I'm not belittling that one bit. Some of you in this room, I'm just guessing by the numbers, are involved in an adulterous relationship right now. Some of you desire to be married, but you're not. You might not see any hope for that. Some of you are divorced, and you're saying, what does this mean for me? Some of you are in a, a really tough marriage, and you've sought the scriptures, and you know the, the clauses and the loopholes that can get you out. And you go home every day, and you fight the fight for the glory of the Lord. Some of you are hopeful. Some of you are hopeless. Like, I get that this meets us in all different places. So, so what's any of this mean? It means that, that marriage is, is good and it's for good. Right? I, I said marriage plays for keeps. 18th century term dealing with marbles, right? Are we playing for fun? Are we playing marbles and I win the game and you take your marbles and I take my marbles? Are we playing for keeps? Like, are we all in that if I win this game, I'm taking your marbles? Or, or like in the, the drag strip circuit or racing circuit, like, are we, are we racing for pinks, pink slips? Like, are we playing for keeps? If I beat you, I get my car and I get your car, right? Marriage plays for keeps. It's, it's, it's all in, right? Marriage is good and it's for good. No-fault divorce, I mean, it's just a symptom of culture, but, but it's, that's not good. Flippant discarding of marriage vows is, is sinful, and, and it's, not, uh, it's not pursuing righteousness, holiness, or godly, uh, godliness. 
It, it's, it's none of those things. But also, if you are divorced, if you have been discarded, if you are unmarried, if you're married, whatever that looks like, God's love isn't vacant for you. None of this is about your worth or your value and a reflection of any of those things because God's love is for you. Marriage isn't ultimate. We talked about singleness last week. We'll talk about lots of other relationships, but marriage is not ultimate. God's glory is ultimate. And when, when his glory is, is our joy, then our joy is most full. So Kim and I have been married for like 21 years. Is that right? It's been 26 years since we made those awesome wax hands, that those wax hands were cast as a symbol of our undying, unwavering love for one another. And I would love to pull those out of here and show you. Like, I want to see them, but I, I, they were so cool, but I can't do that. And here's why. So the house that I grew up in, it was a ranch style. My parents still live in this house. It was heated by a wood-burning stove. And this is not a joke. Gosh, some of you care, time, whatever. The propane guy comes out and he says, hey, you guys aren't using any propane. I'm gonna have to take your tank if you don't use your propane. And my dad said, take the tank, right? So for years, I didn't even have propane. It was wood that heated our house, right? And it would get very hot. Christmas day, snow on the ground, right? Sub-zero, all the windows in the house open were still sweating as we're opening gifts. <laughs> Not kidding. It was so hot in my parents' house. My friend, fifth grade, he brings over a stretch Armstrong. Overnight, we left him in the living room. He leaked to death. <laughs> All of his liquid just came out of him. He was just a pile of goop. Not kidding at all. The good news is, my room was at the end of the hallway. Closed the door, like sub-zero temperatures, like so cold. But with the door open, it would still get pretty toasty. And my guess is, it would get warm, warmer than the melting point of wax in my room, right? And so I woke up one morning, and I find the symbol of longevity of our relationship, those eternal, not-so-eternal uh, wax hands melted into a, a pile of of brown devastation, right? And I remember like calling Kim like, bad news. <laughs> it's over. And, and here's the thing, we could have, have had the empty hands mold. We could have filled those things with plaster, made a cast, but it was like six bucks and we did not have that type of money, <laughs> right? And so we probably said something like, I mean, the wax seems strong enough, like it'll be fine, right? And some of you think your marriage the same way. <laughs> some of you think a shell of marriage, is, that's enough. It'll be just fine. If you aim at marriage, but, but you don't build your life and, and your lives together on Jesus at the center, if you don't let the unity of your life together be established and, and, and founded on Christ, on his commitment to you, on his love to you, on his devotion to you, on his, on his unwavering commitment for you individually and together, then your marriage is set up to be a brown wax heap of devastation on the shelf in my bedroom. The Bible uses this metaphor. Give me just a couple more minutes, all right? It uses this, this metaphor of Jesus as the groom. In the Revelation, the very end of the Bible, the, the last couple chapters, they, they paint out a future reality. And this is what it is for those who are in Christ. He says, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. The Lamb is Jesus, the one who laid down his life for us. And his bride, that's the church, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints, the, the goodness of the church. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. I mean, Marriage is the convergence of two sinners living together as one for his 
glory. And because Jesus is the one who sacrificially lived perfectly for the glory of God in every way, and it's only when we live united with him that we can individually and together enjoy and display a marriage shining bright his glory. See, in, in earthly marriage, we are united until death. But in our eternal marriage to Christ, we are united by his death. And hear me, that is good news. His death spilling through his blood as the action of his love towards his unfaithful bride. So if you look at your marriage and, and wherever you see it melting or disfigured from God's design and his intent for you and, and for your marriage, you can bet that the mold has lost its cast. It's no longer built around Jesus, but is being conformed to our, our otherwise natural sinful conditions of the human heart. Marriage without Christ is wax hands without plaster, but with Christ the heat that would otherwise melt your marriage only conforms you more to his glory, to his image. The band can come up. I'll share three real quick things with you. This is Paul Tripp's words, not mine. His words are better than mine. Three things. We are conducting our marriage in a fallen world. It's hard, right? That fallenness shows up through your own sin, and through the suffering around you. We are sinners married to sinners. That's, that's why it feels so hard. And God is faithful, he's powerful, and he is willing. So the question, why be committed to your spouse? Because the Lord is committed to you. Marriage is God's design to reflect the type of love and commitment he has for his people. We get to respond. A lot to process. Please don't neglect that. No matter where this finds you, right? Connect to a community group this week. Find someone else and say, can I talk about this? Wherever it meets you. You can respond right now. You can sit right where you are. Pray, think. You can stand up and sing with the band. You can pray over there. You can pray at a, a red tree. Someone would love to pray with you. My wife and I will be back at the end of this aisle, we would love to pray with you about this or, or anything else. We get to respond by taking communion, the meal that he offered us, and one day we will get to share with him his body broken, his blood spilled, as an invitation for us to remember and declare the good news that he laid down his life, that we might have life. And, and if you're not in Christ, you've never trusted him, this isn't for you. We are for you, and we would love to chat with you about that. If you are in Christ, this table's open for you. Would you pray? God, thank you for all your ways. And God, I know I feel overwhelmed by all the things that I didn't say and maybe some of the things that I did. Would you move in hearts by your spirit in ways that, that my words never could? Would you do things, and would you undo things? Would you let this church community... Um, Behold you in a way that lets us live vibrantly as, as healthy married people and at the same time lives vibrantly as, as healthy people who get to be around people who are married and, and not married and, and divorced and, and all the hurts and all the things in between and all the joys in between. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.